0: Welcome to the Fire Time Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And once again, I'm so excited to be here today. Welcome to season six of the Fire Time Podcast. And guys, I was thinking about this a lot during the break. It is so cool how much ground we have covered on this podcast and I was I was going through thinking like man has it really been 6 seasons like I guess I guess technically we're starting the 6th season now but still it is it is crazy that that we have really started to do this and it's an honor to be able to produce this podcast for you and give you content that hopefully just helps you grow your business and and grow the people on your team and we're going to continue that this season now, I, I have had a busy last few months and you may or may not have been aware of what's been going on, but a number of months ago, the entire hearth industry got an email from Hearth & Home Magazine saying that they were shutting their doors and it was totally unexpected. And you know, This magazine was really the standard of getting news out to the industry, updating people on what was going on with government affairs, regulations, different manufacturers, and out of nowhere, it was gone. Now, a couple of months before that, I had been thinking about actually starting a publication for our industry. And so Grant and I were in Lexington, Kentucky, driving back to the airport, and I told him about this idea, and I said, hey man, like, I think we could do this. There's enough content, we know enough people through the podcast that we could put together a contributor's team that would be able to generate unbelievable content that our industry has never seen anything like before. And we kind of went down the path a little bit. And at first, we actually decided not to do it because there were some other ideas that we had for for products and, and things to help businesses. But we still had kind of sketched out a business model for it. And then when the news about Hearth and Home Magazine hit, we looked at each other and said, it's time to go. Like We've got the business model mostly drawn up. And there's a void where our industry needs this. So in the off season, you know, we started the Firetime magazine and, and our debut issue comes out today, just like this podcast. And so going forward, we cannot wait for you to get this resource. I'm I'm looking over the content and I'm so proud of it. And I'll tell you, there's never been anything like it in our industry. This content is unreal. And the reason I can say that without arrogance is is that I didn't write most of it. There's an article that that me and Grant wrote for This Issue about our journey over the last four years to bring us to this point, and everything else is by one of our contributors, all of whom are in the industry, working in the trenches. Now, we also hired Bill Sendelbeck, who was a phenomenal writer for Hearth and Home Magazine prior, and we are so excited for you to get this content. You can download it totally for free by going to the firetime magazine.com. And I'll tell you more about that later, but the reason I frame that out for you is that in season 6 of the podcast, I want to introduce you to our contributors team. And we actually have a number of contributors. So we're going to take half of our contributors and interview them in season 6 and then half and interview them lord willing in season 7. So to start this out, the first person that I want you to meet is someone named Brian Barnhill. And he actually is from Lexington, Kentucky. He's got a tremendous business out there, and we are gonna cover a lot of ground. We're gonna talk about what it's like to start a business when it's only you and, and, and the business actually grows, but then what happens when the business starts dragging you along with it. So, like you've succeeded, you're making really good money, the business is booming, but your life is terrible and, and you're getting pulled along with it every single day. You know, Brian had a moment where he decided enough is enough, and he took steps to get above the business so that it could actually be something that he could work on instead of being run over by. And this conversation is amazing. He's got a story right out of the gate about how he got into the industry that, like, you will not believe. I was just, I was dying as he was telling it, and you're going to hear that. But Brian is someone that I've gotten to know very well over the last seven months, and I'll tell you he is a business owner with tremendous humility. You know, every interaction that I've had with Brian and seeing the way that he interacts with his team members and with his general manager, Matt Reed, I am just amazed at Brian's humility that he's somebody that wants the best idea to win. Not necessarily his. He doesn't have to be the smartest person in the room. He doesn't have to take the credit. And there's a lot of business owners that say that, but the way that Brian demonstrates it day in and day out is legit. And so like when you hear him in this, conversation, you're going to hear a lot of honesty and a lot of vulnerability that I think many people need to take note of because that honesty and that vulnerability is true power. Like there's power is not in puffing yourself up and trying to like make sure that nobody knows your weaknesses. Like power is when you can actually know yourself and allow yourself to be known because that allows you. To complement your weaknesses And actually scale the best parts Of what you do So I can't wait for you to hear this conversation Like I said, he's one of the contributors For the Firetime Magazine So actually in this first issue You're going to be able to read an interview That he did with Alan Newkirk But for now, I'm going to get out of the way And let you hear this conversation Joining me from Lexington, Kentucky is the owner of Barnhill Chimney and Barnhill Chimney Supply. I am here today with Brian Barnhill. Brian, how you doing?
1: Doing great. Thanks for having me, Tim.
0: Yeah, I am so excited for this. You know, we've talked a lot, in particular over the last six months or so, and I love what you're doing out, out at Barnhill Chimney. And, and maybe just to start this conversation out, for people that aren't familiar with you, can you give us a little bit of your backstory?
1: Absolutely. It's been said that people found the, the trade of chimney sweeping by the usual path. And that's because there isn't one. Like nobody wakes up, you know, and they're like eight years old. And what do you want to be, Johnny? And they say chimney sweep, right? And so it wasn't on my radar at all. And the summer after high school, my older brother, who uh, is named David Fireball Barnhill, I love it. Uh-huh, uh huh. He, he gave me a call and said, Hey, man, I got this great gig. He was in Atlanta, fresh out of the military. He's five years older than me. And uh, I said, what is it? He goes sweeping chimneys. (laughs) And I was like, get out. Because he's always teasing me. No, it was was legit. So I went down there the summer after high school and uh, and rode in a chimney truck, uh, learning how to sweep chimneys with my brother. And it was a blast. You know, like it had heights. It had meeting new people. It had new adventures every day, you know, battling raccoons on roofs, yeah. figuring out why this freaking dumpster fire of a fireplace is smoking somebody's room out. It had chimney physics. It had like all this stuff. And I just like completely fell in love with it. I had so much fun. One of the things that happened was we go to a house and uh, outside the house, You can just smell the stench of a dead raccoon, like wicked bad. And the call was a a smell from the fireplace. it was like, the smell is from the house, man, the whole house. So I go in and uh, the guy just points at the basement. Yeah. So I'm like, and it's just rank. And I go into the basement and uh, there is the weirdest scene ever. There is a giant fork covered in blood. (laughs) Like one of those like decorative ones where somebody hangs it on their wall and it says eat, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's like a giant fork and a giant spoon and the giant fork was covered in blood and the giant spoon was covered in blood and it's like <laughs> covered in blood and hair and it's like on the freaking hearth. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, great. So, you know, I'm Johnny on the spot. I grab my drops. I go down, I set up, right? I get in there. And, you know, I'm, a, I was a farm kid for part of my life. I'm not averse to these kinds of things generally, but this was especially dank. So there's two things that you know right away. If it smells this bad, it's been a while and it's not a squirrel. It's not a mouse. This is a bigger animal. This is, a, this is either a raccoon or, you know, and so uh, I, I get in there and i sort of pry the damper open. And the thing about it is with trying to get a raccoon out from behind a damper, you have to grab it under its butt and around its neck, because if it started to decompose, then you want to be able to scoop the whole thing out, or else you're, you're like crouched in there. You're reaching over the damper plate and you're trying to like scoop out, you know, goo. So you want to get the whole thing out. So I'm in there and I'm doing this and I've got the butt up and I've got the head and I'm pulling it through the damper. And so you can see the head. And here's the thing about it. When you're doing this, you can't see what's back there. I didn't have like, you know, cameras, right? And so you're kind of afraid that something in there is going to bite your ass, right? Yeah. So I'm up under the butt. I've got the head. I'm re- and you see the raccoon's head. And you're like, okay, he's definitely dead. This is a dead creature. And you're trying to ram it through. Well, two things happened at once. I compressed his belly, which was full of gas. When I pulled him through the damper and as that gas left his mouth, his mouth opened <laughs> and that air from the gas went across his vocal cords and blood and maggots. And this sound ah! <laughs> and I squealed like a little kid, like I completely panicked, whacked my head, like, you know. It it was a mess. But anyway. And then you started
0: started a business.
1: And after that, I said, this is my gig. You know, (laughs) I love this. So I had a lot of fun that summer with David. And my dad ended up having a heart attack. And I was really afraid of not having time with him. And so I went back home to Lexington, Kentucky, and uh, went back to school and stayed and just tried to have as much time with my family as I could, you know, because... Um, that was just scary, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I started a, a business sweeping chimneys while I was going to school, you know, three years into, uh, I didn't know what, you know, business and you know, yeah, sociology and about three years in, I, I looked up one day and I was, I remember where I was, I was, I was driving down Tates Creek road here in town and it just, it hit me like, this is what I want to do.
0: Yeah.
1: I love this job. You know, and I don't know if I can make a career of this, but I'm going to try. And so that was sort of the genesis of it. And handful of years later, I've got, you know, a multi-truck operation. And that was kind of it, you know.
0: You know, hearing that story is so funny, I, I don't have anything quite that good, but there's some zingers from like when I was first up and coming that I just think about and I'm like, my goodness, like what a weird, bad situation, you know? And every everybody thinks about those and, and it's funny how like time all of a sudden makes them way cooler than it actually was in the moment. But so, I mean, you're you're a great example of somebody that has bootstrapped a company from the ground up. And, and, you know, now like you, you have a chimney supply business, multi-truck operation, both on the chimney side. And then you also have retail stores on the fireplace side. But I feel like from, from, you know, my relationship with you, as we've talked, you, while well, the business has exploded in a lot of ways for a long time, you were just getting dragged along with it. Right?
1: Absolutely. So, Uh, And and a lot of it, my own fault, my own doing. If I see an opportunity, I jump at it like a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, when I I decided I was going to get heavy into the chimney business and not just do it to put myself through school, I took out a full page ad in the yellow pages when that meant something. You know, yeah. uh, and we we advertised hard. We had good customer service, you know, training meant a lot. Um, And the business grew. And and as it grew, I, I sought help. You know, I went to conferences, I joined peer groups, yeah. and I tried to keep up with it. Um, and, I, and I did, we kept up with it pretty well. Uh, and I would say that I thought that I knew, I thought I was, I was doing pretty dang good. And about, about $2 million, it just got harder. Yeah. You know, various experiments uh, in, in, in business from, from then till now, trying to, to, to figure out the secret sauce. You know, and really what, a, what changed for us uh, this year was pre pandemic, right before the pandemic, that year we did $4 million and it sucked. It was hard. It, it was the mo- one of the more challenging years that we've had. I, I guess a good analogy is uh, I can make a great steak, I can make the best steak you ever had. But getting 30 people to run a successful steak restaurant is a whole different ballgame. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And the kind of leader that, I'm, that I am, I, I've taken those tests and they say I'm a charismatic leader. So I'm your friend. I'm going to try to help you win. You know, I'm going to coach you to success. And yeah. I had this idea originally of freedom within this framework of accountability. Right. But the unfortunate part is that I was big on freedom and not as good on nearly as good on accountability as I needed to be. Yeah. Uh, And so, you know, big sales hides big sins. And, uh, you know, the reality is that some of those sins got bigger and bigger, you know, and uh, the big sales made uh, uh, making those those big sales to cover the big sins got harder and harder. Yeah. And so I read a book uh, beginning of uh, this year called Traction. Yep. By Gino Whitman. And uh, the sad thing is, is that. Somebody loaned it to me four years ago and it sat in my glove box until I sold the car and I cleaned it out. And I was like, Oh yeah, I was supposed to read that. Yeah. And I read it and it really resonated with me. You know, it, it really hit in that place where this is, I don't want to do this again the way I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, and I think a lot of people going through the uh, pandemic, really, we had a lot of those wake up calls. Like what is, what's it worth? You know, what am I doing this for? You know, yeah. uh, cause maybe, maybe I'll just run a $2 million company again. I can do that in my back pocket, you know? Yep. But I knew I wasn't going to be able to implement that on my own. And what what it is essentially is, is this, the epiphany was that, uh, much like a, I don't know, a, a CRM, you know, at a certain point when I started out, I had a notebook. Yep. Totally. And I think, uh, that, I kept everything, all my customer data in the very beginning when it was me in a truck and a notebook, you know, I didn't need to go get a CRM for 10 clients. Right. Yeah. And then at a certain point that got untenable and I had to get a CRM. And I think that there's a very similar correlation to uh, the size of an organization when you need a system to run the organization. And for us, EOS, which is entrepreneurial operating system, uh, which is the spinoff of traction is, is what that was. And we, we hired a coach uh, to, to walk us through that process. This, this year having implemented that was the least stressful winter I've ever had in the chimney and fireplace business. Uh, and if you'd have told me that back in the spring, no way, <laughs> no way. So, um, that's, that's been a big thing for us. That's amazing. You know, I I
0: think that you're, you're right about a few things. One is I think that there is a revenue number. I mean, you said it's, it's right around that $2 million mark. I I agree. I think, I think that once you get past that maybe two, two and a half million, you got to run a different business than you ran before. There's a lot of things that you can do out of your back pocket. There's a lot of things that you can do being like one of the guys. It's like everybody, it's like, it's like you're a, it's like you're like a sheriff's posse in the Wild West, just kinda like operating however you see fit. And that and that works when the company's a certain size, but once you get bigger, there's a level of infrastructure where like I love your example of the steak. It's like my job is no longer to make the best steak, it's I actually gotta run a restaurant, or I gotta get out and find someone to run the restaurant so I can actually make the steak. But you can't you you, you can't be in that position where you've hired the cook, you've hired the, the waiters and waitresses. And you've, you've done the advertising, but you still just want to make the steak. It doesn't work that way.
1: Right. Right.
0: You know, another thing that you said that I thought was really good too, is just that idea of like, I guess reaching a point where like enough is enough for you is finding that book traction. I think that different people have like, you know, different things that reach them in their lives. But obviously like the stuff you heard in it, I feel like you, you probably to some degree have heard, have heard before, like maybe it was presented in a new way, but Like, what was it that made you say enough is enough? Like I'm getting help.
1: It was the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, I, before anybody knew what any of this was really about, and it was during the lockdown. And I, in the very beginning of that, I I was sick as I've ever been for nearly three weeks. And I had all the symptoms of COVID that they, that they were describing. I'd never lost my sense of smell and taste, but I had, I was extreme fatigue, trouble breathing, headache, fever, the whole thing. And it was bad. And I went and took the antibody test since it, they said it wasn't COVID whatever it was, but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've, maybe I've got this, whatever it is. And you know, all the stress of running, you know, right out of the winter, right. Into the spring of the pandemic,
0: Yeah.
1: Laying there reviewing my life really. In what I wanted my future to be, and I didn't want it to be the way that it had been with the business. I wanted it to be different, you know. And I had a I had a choice to make. I was either going to scale it down or or figure out how to to run it the way that the size that we were. And that that was really what it was. I mean, the pandemic broke me. <laughs> and I I was reading that book and said, "This is uh this is the change I need." And I don't think that I can implement this change on my own. Yeah. I mean,
0: so I think it's amazing. And one thing that I've been super impressed by is I've gotten to know you. So me and Grant went and spent some time out at your business late summer. And I've been really amazed at your humility to, number one, I want to talk about hiring and who you've hired and, 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 and given power to. But I feel like there's just been a humility I've seen where you haven't have had to have all the right answers. You haven't had to be the smartest person in the room. You've been willing to listen to counsel and, because you want the best idea to win. And ultimately it seems to me like you're after the best version of Barnhill chimney, as opposed to how can I make my ego as big as possible? Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's what every business owner would be after, but I don't, I don't think it is.
1: Yeah. I, and I think that if you really started drilling down at what makes any of us happy, it's probably not what it is, Mm -hmm. you know? And a big part of how we were able to be successful with, implementing this business operating system to this point is just the good people. You know, I've got mm-hmm. a fantastic team, a great general manager. Yeah. Um, and Matt Reed, you know, the Reed guys, that's a good last name. It is. It's a good um, last name. <laughs> my, my goal isn't being, uh, the biggest, baddest guy in chimney Right. I've got I've got different goals. I, I want a business that runs well, that I can come into and be a part of. Yeah. A place where the people really in lo- love and enjoy being there and that uh, we do something every day that matters. With the business operating system, we're able to define that goal and work together towards implementing it and rally a team of people that want to be a part of doing that with us.
0: Yeah. I think that's so good. I, I wanna I wanna talk more about that business process system, but one thing just that you mentioned in, in kind of your origin story when you were talking was the idea of being a charismatic leader. And and I relate to this, so I'm I'm pretty similar to you in that sense of like, you know, I I wear my heart on my sleeve, I like to invest in people, I wanna cheer people up and, and like show them a path to win, and there's a lot of charisma that comes with that. But there you know I, I would say that we've talked about this before that like that blessing is also a curse
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that frankly that's how most most blessings in life have a have a shadow side to them and being aware of that shadow side is really important you talked about investing in people and and i found this to be true like in the pandemic as well that as i set out i i quit a you know great job well paying and i i'm all of a sudden starting my own business and all my plans are thrown for a loop once the pandemic starts. And what I realized through the pandemic was I, I came to the end of what my personal abilities could do.
1: Mm.
0: Charisma only gets you so far.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, your natural skill sets only get you so far. Mm-hmm. And there's a point where it it is so much better to just admit that, not have to like take an ego hit to 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 you know like not lie to yourself and say like well I can do anything I can just put my like just admit I'm not that good at this, but there's plenty of people that that are good at it and that love doing this stuff and like let's surround ourselves with those kind of people and so for me what was awesome about that is I was able to uh, to make some hires in the off season that have totally outsourced my weaknesses. And and now have have started to free me up more to do the things that only I can do that that are totally within my wheelhouse of my skill set, and I think that that's really important. And I just I'd like to you to hear you talk a little bit about investing in people because I know that that investment for you you've taken really seriously because while there's a ton you bring to the table, you've seen that that there are limits to what you personally can do.
1: Absolutely, um, and a big. A big part of what you just mentioned there was just playing to your strengths, and not just your strengths, but what you enjoy doing. And that the idea that if you're if you're staying in the lane that uh, is your is your joy and highest aptitude, that's where you're going to do your best work. And you figure out where that is, and you surround yourself with people that are filling in the gaps that are in their lanes with their highest aptitude. And there, so this year uh, we made some changes to our management team. You know, I've, I've got a guy that's, you know, one of the greatest, uh, technical minds in the industry and he was my GM, but, uh, he, he's moved into a role where he helps us a lot better, uh, staying in a highly technical role. Yeah. And, uh, our sales manager, uh, is, is our general manager now, you know, and that's Matt Reed and, and we're all happier yeah. because of it, you know, cause we're, we're in our lanes and, uh, and it's my job of, uh, to think of crazy stuff for us to get into, Totally.
0: Well, and I think Seth Godin talks about this. Like, as the business owner, when you have put people in place, your job is to break things, right? Like, it really is. Like, your job is to be like. He gives the example of like if if he owns a pizza place. Like, once he's got a general manager in place and the kitchen can kind of run itself, his job is to say, "Can we make a uh, pickle pizza? Can we make a pizza that is like three layers deep? You know, like like just." Because that, but you can only do that when you have put that infrastructure in place. Right. Like business is always a journey. No business runs perfectly. And that's, that's the beauty of like what business is, is that our job is, is never ending. But the fact that we're doing work that matters is, is really important. I'd love to hear you talk about the specifics of creating like a business process. So like when you, when you say, okay, I've got a general manager in place, I've, I've moved people around so that we hopefully have, you know, the right people on the bus in the right seats now we're going to try to build a process. A lot of companies, I think, would listen and say like, well, I don't need a process. Like, We just
1: know what to do. But I don't think that's actually the case. I, I definitely don't think it's the case. What it really boils down to is that you mentioned that $2 million mark. Uh, but there's a, a certain level of communication that occurs at a certain amount of activity in a business. You could boil it down to SKUs or, you know, trucks or however you want to say it, whatever you're doing. And but at that level of communication, if you do not have a good system for who's in charge of what and who's saying what to who and when, then things are gonna go off the rails. Yeah. You know, or I think that you can push it through a ton of hours. Yeah. If you if you're just um, a just a very committed savant leader that wants to be micromanaging every iota. But that is, I mean, that just sounds like hell to me. Yeah. It's no life. Yeah. That's no life. So, um, and, and not to mention just doing it the other way. It gives you the, the, the freedom. And I think the, you know, the, the profits that you want anyway. So why do it? Yeah. But how do you do that? I would say that, having still be being in the process to some degree, being a newbie in this, that it's, it's hire somebody that knows how to help you implement that process. Yeah, It's worth it. Yeah. You know, get yourself a coach that can walk you through that implementation. And I would tell you the same thing about getting a CRM. And many of the folks listening to this podcast have been through their own personal hells, trying to implement a CRM on their right. Yeah. You know, and it's garbage in garbage out. And I think you can take a system like, uh this EOS traction system. And there's a lot of other ones out there. Yeah. Uh, and I think you could absolutely fail to launch without help.
0: Yeah. I, yeah. I think helps a big one. That And that's been a, a big thing for me as I'm looking at, at building products and, and services and things like that is like, when I have an idea for something, the choice is I can either like invent the wheel by myself or I can find someone that has invented that wheel before and just say, Hey, can I hire you to help me figure this out? And one gets you there a lot quicker and can avoid, you know, a lot of landmines that otherwise you're just going to stumble on. Absolutely.
1: We'll
0: get back to our conversation with Brian Barnhill in just one minute. Hey, you heard me talk about it at the beginning of this episode, but if you are listening to this in real time, today is the day that the Firetime magazine makes its debut. Now, this magazine is a digital publication that is going to take the same type of content we've been producing on the podcast for the last two and a half years and scaling it so that every single month you get articles and interviews from experts all over the country who are working at every level of our industry. Now, Brian in particular has an article in this first issue called Hindsight is 2020. It's an interview with Alan Newkirk that you don't want to miss. If you've been curious about my story and Grant's story, we have an article that's called The Journey, how two retailers stumbled into a digital publication that talks about where we've gone over the last three years and how we tried to make intentional decisions to confront fear and do work that might fail because we believed it was the right thing to do. This magazine is chock full of value, and there's two ways you can get a hold of it totally for free. First off, if you want to get this magazine on your phone or tablet, which is what I recommend, you can go to the website itsfiretime.com app. That's itsfiretime.com app and you can download the smartphone or tablet app for the Firetime magazine where every issue will be delivered totally free. Now the alternative is if you don't want to view this on a smartphone or a tablet and want to just read the magazine on your laptop or desktop computer you can go to magazine.com and click the link to read it right there on your computer. Either way, we cannot wait to see what happens with this. And I'm telling you, the content in this magazine is out of this world. So if you've been enjoying the podcast and it's been helping you grow and you want to take it to the next level, you need to start reading the Firetime Magazine. One of the things that we talked about, and this is this is related, so like you know, you think about like a business system. So I think, I mean, I remember like when, when me and Grant came out, uh, the first thing that we did was we had, we had this awesome dinner in, in, uh, this building in, in downtown Lexington and we got off the whiteboard and Grant and I just started asking questions about, Hey, who does what in your company? And we just started drawing an organizational chart. And I think a lot of companies don't even think about their organizational chart of like, well, who does what, right? Who's the general manager or who's the president who works underneath them? How do the different departments work? And I felt like just in that hour and a half that we spent, there was so much clarity gained around why people do what they do, how to, how to group people together. And I think that your organizational chart is probably where just about any business should start when they're trying to build a process.
1: Yeah. And, and I have to say, I, I need to give you a lot of props there because it was that work that you did with us that we took into our first EOS meeting.
0: Oh, awesome.
1: And, and he, he, uh, he was able to, uh, John Fox, our coach was able to help a, a lot with us having that done already.
0: That's cool to hear. I, I think, yeah, I think it's really important. Um, there's many companies, even big companies that, that don't have, have an org chart that's up to date and it can seem like, oh, it's just boring and corporate. And we're a small company. There's only six people in the company. I, it doesn't matter that like, there's gotta be basic roles and responsibilities. Cause without that clarity of like knowing who does what and having the expectation, I, I just think it sets you up for failure.
1: Well, I think something that I'd like to share, just because I hope that more people do it, I think is a good example of the kinds of things that can happen with effective implementation and communication. And that is that this uh, winter, all uh, all summer, and this winter, we ran our company on a four day work week. The entire company running on a four day work week, and we made more money this winter. On a four-day work week than we did last year. On many days, a six-day work week.
0: <laughs> okay, so we I, we got to stop and talk about this. People won't, will not believe it because everybody's too busy. Everybody's working their guys 60 hours a week, six, seven days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you're saying that – now, you said a couple things because earlier in the interview, you said that this year was the easiest winter you've ever had. Not that it's easy, but like you weren't ripping your hair out every single day. Yeah. Uh, You're saying that you were more profitable than last year, which was a record year last year, Right, and you did it working four days a week.
1: That's right. (laughs) Talk to me about this. Yeah. So it it seems counterintuitive. You're like, well, you're going to make more if you work more. But the challenges that you have in the winter around people being, especially the winter, but all year, uh, are... Uh, folks being burned out, making mistakes, not being nearly as productive, that kind of thing. So, so here's the here was the crux of it: is that instead of calling it a four day work week, uh, because I don't know how, uh, at the base of it, that, that could work in a service company, right? Uh, it we called it a flex schedule, okay. And you are on call on the fifth day if you need to, uh, and you work the the four days a longer day, typically, right? Now we all do, it's like gig work. So how long does it take you to do that install, right? But we tried it and it worked. Yeah. There's more meat in the middle because there's less setup and breakdown every day, especially on multi-day jobs. So whereas before we would have a certain amount of installs we could do in a day, now because we had less setup and breakdown, yeah. we were actually able to get more gainful work done on the days that we were working. And then if we had any jobs that we, we had issues with, we had the flex day that we could flex into. But what turned me on to the four-day work week in the beginning was I had a contractor come to my house and they were putting a window in, uh, uh, in the house and the contractor and I got to talking and he said uh, that uh, he was going to be an extra hour that day than they were normally working, but he really wanted to get that window done. <laughs> And I thought about that and I said, you know, that, that's really great of you. And he goes, well, it's not so much great of me as it is selfish of me. He said, uh, I'm on a flex schedule and it, it's my four-day work week. And so if I finish today, then I, I, I get tomorrow off. If I don't finish, then I've got to come back tomorrow and finish it. And then that, that was when the switch went off for me. Yeah. Because as an employee, you can't control your days off. You you don't get any control over that. So the only carrot in front of you as an employee is your paycheck. Oh, yeah. Right? And and so with time as the other variable, it does two things. The employee is motivated to be more successful in that four-day work week so that they don't have to go into five. Right? Um, And so we had a lot of planning, a lot of talk that went into it out of our EOS meetings but we implemented it and it worked it worked like we thought that it would the employees are happier we we had to use a few flex days sure. but not not a, not a lot yeah um and uh, there there's more rest so you have less injuries yeah people sh- people are happy and happy people are productive
0: well and i'm thinking about like i mean it's hard enough to keep installers when there's a million people that are trying to hire them for other trades but how many how many like manual labor jobs can you get a three day weekend every week? Like, what a perk to stay in with that company.
1: It's helped with hiring. It, it's helped with retention. Folks are happy. Think about it. Like, you got your five days in. Saturday, you're like, I'm off. Yeah. You're like, what do I do with myself? And then Sunday, you're like, I'm going back to work. Right. Yeah. But with three days, you get to have a life. Yeah. And so, if you can choose a career that you get to have a life and you're happy. And you're motivated to stay and learn and grow, and so i I mean I, I think that the message needs to be call me anybody that's like yeah, yeah you got I heard that on my podcast that's I don't believe it. you feel free to call me, talk to me about it. It's real it's a four day work week model it it works. Call it a flex yeah. schedule
0: how How hard was it to manage scheduling doing that easier really
1: yeah. Yeah, it, it it because it gives you the buffer that you need all winter long that you never have otherwise. All winter long, you're overbooked and overscheduled. Now you've got a padding day. Yeah, every week all winter. Our schedulers were like, "This is brilliant. How did we not think of this before?" Yeah, you know, for our sweeps who are who routed you know to multiple jobs throughout the day, they're they're just able to do an extra sweep. In four days than they typically would. And if if they're sick a day on Monday, guess what? That's what your flex days for. So instead of having an overbooked schedule clear to Christmas, where you're like trying to figure out Robin Peter to pay Paul and cram customers in here and there. Well, if you don't show up on Monday because you got the sniffles, you're picking your jobs up on Friday, yep. right? Yeah. And so all of those conversations went away. People weren't... People were not bartering for their time with illness. Yeah,
0: it's amazing. I mean, it, when when we and Grant went out there and and we first heard about that, I I have never seen that before in our industry. But I think that what you just said about having the flex in season to deal with just things that come up—something was back backordered, an installer was sick, it snowed that day, so we couldn't get the truck out. You know, I I think that i've actually used this analogy before but I haven't thought about the four day work week is we need to book all of our installations with margin right like if i mean I, like if I'm gonna go on vacation i don't i don't look at how many how many miles is it to that town and put exactly that much gas in my car like that's fool that's foolish right you know instead i fill up my whole tank and if something comes up I'm able to accommodate and the same thing is true with our installations like we have a finite number of installers and there's only so much work they can do. And we know that there's variables that come up with some jobs take longer. Sometimes parts get backordered, whatever it is. So, so why would we schedule them at 120% capacity when we know that there's variables? Right.
1: Right. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, no, I feel like this is something that, that more and more folks are going to adopt because it works. It it relieved so it, it relieved so much tension and pressure this year. Yeah. And we made more money
0: doing it. It's incredible. And what I think about too, like, one thing that I want to caution is the danger of any time you're you're, you know, doing a podcast like this is that sometimes people can listen to this and think like, Oh, Tim, like your business doesn't have any problems or Brian, like you've just got it figured out. You're you know, your business isn't ever stressful. And and that's not true. Like, I I'd love to hear you talk about the fact that like Problems don't go away as your business gets better, and as as you start to to do these things, they just change.
1: Well, they, it's not just that they never go away because that's just life, and it's definitely business, and it's definitely the fireplace business, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but the difference is that you have a plan to manage them, and you have a a business operating system to manage those issues. You know, and that was that was truly the difference maker for us this year having a plan for it. It was it was it was the difference maker in my quality of life.
0: I think about that a lot that if if you if you're not willing to invest in the problems that your business has, they don't they don't go away. And so as a business owner, you will go years and years and years doing the same things over and over and over banging your head against the wall. When you stop and and can kind of break free from that chaos a little bit, from the whirlwind and actually think about like why do these problems keep coming up? Do I need to hire somebody? Do I have to find a coach? Do I have to, you know, get a computer software system? Like whatever whatever it is to solve that problem, you know, now there's new problems. And, and they're actually probably things that already existed, but that you were blind to. And I've heard somebody say that the reward for solving problems is that you get to solve bigger ones. But how cool is it as a business owner to be thinking like the problems that I get to solve, like I know that you're in the middle of moving into a new building. So like the problems you get to solve are like, Okay, should I buy this new building or not? When should we transition our showroom? Okay, I've got this rock star general manager. How can I set him up to succeed? Like, what are the roadblocks that are in his way or her way to uh, to helping them get where they need to go? Mm-hmm. You know, there's stress there, no question, and those are problems, like legit problems that can keep you up at night. But man, like, I would way rather solve those problems than like, oh no. My installer just called me. I'm at my kid's soccer game and they're missing a piece of pipe at the job site. So I have to stop, leave, go Mm -hmm. to the supplier and take it there because we've never built a system to deal with this. Like, you know, there's problems in both cases, but man, I'd rather solve the bigger ones.
1: Yeah, that's same here. Absolutely. And I I just, uh, if I made it at all sound like I uh, have come to this place Without having screwed up tons, I want to go ahead and uh, and just officially say I've screwed up tons. Yeah,
0: I have two. I have two. I I think a lot about fail fast and fail often. Yeah, and I hate it, but man, like that's the way that you get better. It's the only way you get better. Is you try things, they don't work, you adjust and try them again.
1: That's it. That's it. Well, um, so one of the uh, the more outlandish things that I've done in near history that I completely screwed up on is I uh, designed the barbecue grill fireplace that bolts your decker patio. Uh, I got it on national TV five times a few handful of years ago. And uh, I had no business doing that because I was in no way prepared to manufacture and distribute. That. <laughs> I mean, if that isn't me to a T like I mean, I sold the hell out of that i d
0: yeah,
1: and no business at all doing that, you know? yeah so the i I think that uh if anything taking a little bit of time to implement a process uh has been the been the biggest game changer for us this year,
0: yeah, now there's a lot of things that you do outside of just you know we've been talking heavily on like the fireplace and chimney sweep side. But you have a whole chimney supply company and I'd just love to tee you up and, and have you tell our audience about that because that was something I was blown away at when, when we went out there. You were showing us like the way that your seams work and I'm I'm not like a, a technical guy in that sort, in that sense, but I'm looking at this being like, oh my gosh, this is awesome.
1: Yeah. Well, so we, uh the, the big thing there is very similar to my lessons learned in the fireplace company is that I uh, realized that. I I like to tinker. I like to create. I like to invent, but guess what? I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not a, I'm not a a high level shop guy even. Right. And so I backed up and I took a look at how I was going to have that business run itself successfully uh, and grow successfully. And it was very much the same sorts of ideas where I brought in folks uh, that that did have those skills and capacities, and so that was the the fruit of that labor is what you were looking at with the shop.
0: Yeah, so you guys are national supplier,
1: right? You ship everywhere. We do yeah. absolutely. Cool, but we're we're primarily uh, chimney caps and servicing supplies is what we build. Yeah, that's awesome. Well,
0: one thing that we talked about—I don't think we have time in this conversation—but you mentioned the fact that you think any fireplace store can instantly turn around and be doing three to five hundred grand a year in chimney caps with some intentionality and I want to have you back on the podcast sometime to talk
1: about that I would absolutely love to do that and I can tell you it's true because we're doing it.
0: <laughs> I love it man well you brought us a ton of value today and uh, I just I appreciate your friendship and it's just really fun getting to do this and you know I'm excited that you're a contributor for the firetime magazine and if you guys listening have enjoyed this content you're gonna be hearing a lot more from Brian over the course of the year.
1: Right. Well, it's been uh, been great being on your podcast. Thanks for having me. What I'm curious to know is uh, when are you going to break out that guitar on any of these podcasts and play a little for us?
0: <laughs> you know, uh, this is the first request I've got for that, and we will we'll have to see what happens. Well, that's a shame. All right. <laughs> Good talking to you, Brian.
1: You too, man. Thanks.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Brian Barnhill. I loved getting the chance to talk to him, and I mean, it's so apparent from that conversation that – you know, he is someone that's trying to do it the right way. If you know his backstory, there's definitely been some hardship he's endured, but he's been persevering to create the best business to serve as many people as possible. And and there's a couple things I want to point out. One that we didn't get a cover in this conversation, but it's so true. You know, he's someone that is has kind of come from the chimney side into the fireplace space where now he has a retail store. He's moving into a new location that's just beautiful. And... I have come to really believe that that folks in the chimney space deeply understand customer service. And a lot of companies in the chimney space have a very limited advertising budget, if anything at all, and they really count on referrals as their primary marketing. And so when these chimney companies that have been doing this for years, all of a sudden take a digital stance and 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 put in a system to get like google reviews or yelp reviews they explode and so many of these chimney companies have like hundreds and hundreds of reviews while the local heart store maybe has like 17 or 18 so so what i've noticed that in talking to him is that he actually values customer service like he he takes it upon himself very seriously to provide it at, at all costs and so We didn't get to talk about that in the interview, but I think that that's an important way to understand the way that he's been wired, and I think that that translates into success. I want to talk about his analogy of the stake. This is really, really good, and I'm probably going to start stealing it and using it from now on because if you think about what it was that grows a business, in general, it's you, the business manager or owner, being able to make a stake, right? You know, for him at the beginning, it was him on a truck, so he is making the stake, as the business grows and you need more infrastructure, you know, you, you, you start to actually realize like, hey, this isn't like a door-to-door steak delivery. We're actually, you know, we're making a restaurant here. So, you know, you, you lease a building, you hire a staff, you've got waiters and waitresses, you've got a greeter, you've got dishwashers, you've got, you know, people that work in the kitchen for you. And all of a sudden, someone's got to run the restaurant. Now, as a business owner, you have to make that decision of, do I only want to make steak? Or do I want to run a restaurant? Because if I'm running a restaurant, I'm probably not going to be able to make steak anymore. And if I do, it's got to be like every once in a while and really, really expensive. And and the reason why is that without anybody to run the restaurant and pay the bills and to like make sure that the place is clean and all the things that go with the administration of running a restaurant, it doesn't work. His analogy is so fitting that he realized he could make the best steak. But all of a sudden, once the business got to a certain point, he realized that that he didn't have the skills at the time to actually run a restaurant and that and that what was being asked of him by the business had changed. That's really profound. And and I think what we talked about in, in thinking about this is, do you want to make the steak? Because there's nothing wrong with that. If you, if you want to be the chef that makes the steak, do it. But there's two choices. One is you run a very small business where you can make the steak. There's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But number 2 would be if you if you want to keep doing that hire somebody that's actually running the business. And and this is something I've actually seen a lot of like big companies, like very successful companies do where the owner that 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 starts the business, you know, rises to a certain level and they're just not happy because it's not in their skill set, it's not what they like to do. They love being around people. They they kind of like, you know, want to be like one of the guys that that's doing the work and so in humility they bring somebody in to run the company. And they're still the owner of the business, but they have staffed out their weaknesses and they've given the person control to run the business so that they can continue to, you know, metaphorically make the stake. If now if you've decided that hey, it was amazing making the stake for the time and I can teach somebody to make this stake just about as well as I can because I want to I want to move into something different and something bigger. Hey, that's amazing. And, and I think that that's, that's where you're going to find that, that Brian's been able to make that transformation. And I, I know that you can too through intentionality. I'm, I'm just dying at his story that got him into the industry. I can think of like just some crazy stories that, that I've had, nothing quite like that. But I think that everybody's got those. And, and it, it's so funny what we remember and what it is that just makes us laugh years later. I think that being in touch with that is very important. Me and me and Grant actually like laughed and laughed. There's this ridiculous, ridiculous connection that we actually have probably five years before we ever met that we didn't realize until, you know, a few years ago. And I I I love that stuff. I think that every single one of us knows that story. And you know, this industry is special. You know, we don't sell sawdust or insurance like, we sell fireplaces and even though we want to be organized we want, we want to run a good business like there's a little bit of wild west in this business that I think is actually awesome now as we round out i've been actually you know taking account of how many episodes of the podcast that we've had and guys we are getting closer and closer to 100 and i don't know what it's going to be yet but you know, I'm going to try to do something really special for that episode. And I, I just want to tell you guys, thank you. It means the world that you've been continuing to listen. You've been sharing this podcast with other people. I'm, I'm looking at the reviews on it and just thinking, oh my gosh, like it's amazing seeing that this is giving you value. So it is much appreciated. Now, if this podcast has been a blessing for you and you want to support it financially, you can do that by going to the website, patreon.com slash it's That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash it's fire time and you know you, you might actually hear in this episode and with this season the sound is a little bit different we, we made a major upgrade to our recording equipment in the off season because of the monthly support we've been able to have from you guys and so our hope is that you know we can invest in equipment to make this better that we have delivery systems that can provide it to be smoother and you know overall For as long as this podcast exists, my goal is that it continues to give you unsurpassed value. So it means the world to those of you who are supporting this month to month. That's where the money goes, is to making this better. And so guys, that's it. Season six has started. We are off to the races. You know, Brian is just one of the contributors that you are going to hear from. And, And I'll tell you, you know, he didn't talk about this in the conversation, but he runs a very successful chimney supply company, really specializing in chimney caps. That's called Barnhill Chimney Supply. And you can find their link in the show notes. But I'm just going to give them a plug personally because I've seen what they do and it's amazing. He is dead serious when he says that many of your businesses could be doing an extra three to 500000 in chimney caps. And uh, at some point, I want to get him back on to talk about that because it's, it's powerful. So my hope for you is that is that going into this season you know, you, you've you kind of gotten through some of the craziness. It, it probably is still pretty busy, but you're starting to be able to get back on top of it. My hope is that as you listen to these voices from the fire time magazine, you can be taking things away in the off season to make investments that can grow your business so that you can be a better leader and serve others more effectively than ever during this time. So that is all we have for today. And I can't wait to talk to you again next week.